0: As Pastor Fred mentioned, we're blessed to have uh, Marcia Strauss with us this weekend. Um, I met Marsha in Ethiopia in 2008. Uh, she's going to share some of her experience. She was in Ethiopia for 19 years, uh, came back stateside and was living in Charlotte, and is now coming from uh, from Dallas and is going to share uh, the experience of this new journey that she's on with SIM. Uh, we've been so blessed to have her this weekend. She uh, ministered Friday night to the kids at Awana and in youth group. Uh, we were able to overcome the snow. Uh, thankfully, she came in Thursday night, so the snow wasn't an obstacle to her getting here from, uh, from Dallas. Uh, but she's just going to share this new journey that she's on, and we're, uh, we're very blessed to have her. So join me in welcoming Marcia Strauss.
1: Thank you. I have felt uh, very welcome here in uh, Manchester. It started out with a very warm welcome at 11 o'clock at night when I went to my bedroom door and found this welcome sign for me. And um, though I wouldn't say it was a warm welcome, I was delighted uh, the next morning to wake up to this. Uh, That being from Texas, I grew up in Michigan, so I love snow, but now that I live, I've lived in the South quite a while, I really love visiting snow. And so um, I, I, it was a delight to have that yesterday. thought I'd introduce you a little bit to uh, my family. Uh, by 2011, June of 2011, all of our children had spouses. So that was delight. Our oldest is... Sorry, am I able to stop that? Um, our oldest is Kara, and her husband is Maché. They live in Bolivia. Kara works among women who prostitute, and uh, Maché is the youth and worship pastor. He was an IT engineer, and the church saw his potential for leadership and drew him in. So he's now full time as a pastor. Um, tell me how I, what I'm doing wrong. Down. Okay, there we go. Okay. Um, our next was is our son, Mark, and his wife, Amy. Mark is a counselor, and Amy is a teacher, and Stephen is our de- my delight. <laughs> and there's another one on the way, so that's been exciting. And our youngest lives in Charleston, South Carolina. Mark and Amy live near me in Dallas, so that's why it's so special. Um, And then David and Ryan live in Charleston, South Carolina, and my grandchild in that home is Raiden, who is a Malamute wolf mix and uh, a huge, very lovable dog. Uh, David is a a marine um, biologist-turned-photographer, and uh, Ryan is a writer who is uh, now published. Uh, Her fifth book will be coming out in October, so we've been really rejoicing in the Lord's favor that he's given her. Um, Let's just take a moment to pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to um, just tell a little bit of your story um, that's come into my life, and I pray that all of us, as we have sung, that your story will revive us, uh, that we will live in the light of that glorious grace, and uh, Lord, I just pray that each of us will be ready this morning to receive what you have from us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In 1893, a ship pulled into the harbor of Lagos, Nigeria, and on it were three men: Thomas Kent, 24 years old, Walter Gowans, 25, and Roland Bingham, 21 years old. They had a vision to reach the sorry, they had a vision to reach the unevangelized people, 60 million of them that were located below the Sahara desert across that swath of Africa, and they started in Nigeria. Now, missions were active along the coast of Nigeria, but not inland. The interior was the white man's grave. Soon after the three men landed, a missionary firmly told them, you will not see the interior, your children will not see the interior, possibly your grandchildren will see it. But full of faith... And uh, just pursuing the burden that God had given them, these three men went into the interior. Kent and Gowans, before the first year had passed, were in their graves with dysentery and malaria. Roland Bingham, terribly discouraged and also severely debilitated by malaria, boarded the ship and headed back to Canada. But in the coming years, Bingham would not give up. By 1902, the first S.I.M. station was put into in Nigeria, 225 miles inland. Why such determination at the risk of putting even more lives at stake? Why go to such cost of resources and even of human life? Nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus' disciples took the good news into dangerous situations. Each suffered, and as far as we know, most of them died as martyrs. And of course there's Paul, the consummate missionary, who went through outrageous insult, injustice, severe beatings, and he too eventually died a martyr's death. Why go to such extremes? And It's not just long ago heroes of the faith that have made the ultimate sacrifice. Bonnie Witherall was a clinic worker caring for disadvantaged pregnant women in Lebanon. She and her husband knew the risks of living in such a place. One morning in November of 2002, she was climbing the steps to the clinic and as she unlocked the main door, she looked back to see that somebody was following her. Immediately, three bullets were discharged into Bonnie's head at point-blank range, leaving her sprawled in a pool of her own blood. Why? Why Lebanon? She could have used her nursing skills in a much safer mission setting. Why would any of these people choose to engage in mission at such cost? I believe it's because they knew God's word, and when you know and believe God's word it gives you a clear picture of God's story and these people understood that if their story was going to be a part of God's story they needed to join God in mission when we know and believe God's story we embrace its demands to take the gospel to those that need to hear it on the road to Emmaus after um his resurrection, Jesus explained the scriptures to two of his disciples. And in Luke um, chapter 24, it says that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And what were all the scriptures at that time? Well, it was Genesis to Malachi. No great commission written yet. Jesus helped the disciples make sense of God's grand story, his grand mission, from creation to their present. He made clear to them the point and the purpose and the climax of God's story to that point in time. And later that night, Jesus goes over it all again with his disciples, with all of them that time. In Luke 24, it says, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now the disciples probably knew large chunks of the Old Testament by memory but Jesus started putting the puzzle pieces together for them. He showed them how the Old Testament scriptures pointed to him, the Messiah. He had gone over the same track earlier in the day with the two disciples but now Jesus meets with all the disciples, and in this evening session, he unfolds the implications of that story. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. Okay, the disciples are tracking with Jesus. They could now see that the Old Testament led up to the emotionally wrenching and mind-blowing weekend they had just experienced. And they could now see the messianic significance of the Old Testament scriptures and of all that was written to that point in time. But now Jesus tells them where all this is leading. And that, excuse me, there we go. And that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now Jesus unfolds for them the missional significance of the Old Testament scriptures. Don't you just wish you could have heard that survey that night? I wonder if if Jesus used a verse like Isaiah 9 God the Father is speaking to his son, and he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Maybe he used Amos 9. Speaking of the restoration of Israel, God says, In that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and all the nations who are called by my name. From Genesis to Malachi, God's grand story is about God's grand mission. Since the day that Adam and Eve sinned, God has been on mission to redeem a sin-saturated humanity who is made in his image. And as the book of Acts opens, we see that the disciples got it. God, um, They knew and believed God's story, and they understood that to be a part of God's story naturally demanded that they be a part of his mission. When we know and believe God's story, we embrace its demands to take the gospel to those who need to hear it. My husband Steve and I were born into loving Christian families who knew and believed God's story and embraced its demands. They wanted their children to be a part of God's story, and so they taught them God's word. And they made it clear to all of their children that wherever God led them and whatever God called them to do, they would lovingly support them through it. In God's wonderful design, I met Steve at Bryan College, and in 1976 we were married and I joined Steve in Dallas, Texas, uh, where he was studying at Dallas Theological Seminary. During those years of study and through a series of many steps and experiences, God made it clear to us that we were to serve him, the way we were to fulfill our mission uh, in joining him in mission was that we would serve him full-time with SIM in Africa. So in September of 1982, Steve and I, with our daughter Kara, landed in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. You've heard a little bit of that from... Uh, Peter and Cindy, I'm sure. At that time, and for the next nine years that we were there, Ethiopia was under the strong grip of a communist government. We added to our family in those years. Uh, First came Mark, and uh, a few years later, then came David. In our 19 years in Ethiopia, uh, Steve helped found several different theological schools of different levels of education, he loved teaching in those schools and developing leadership for them. Over the years, I was involved in mentoring young women and uh, mission administration, helping people adjust to um, in short-term people coming um, to adjust to Ethiopia, and um, working, participating as well as leading in the... me, I hit the back one in the uh, music program, the worship program of the international church there. We returned to the United States in 2001 when Steve became the SIM USA director. And I worked in the SIM international office, which was just across the border. One is in south and one is in north. And um, I was the short-term service program coordinator for SIM. Those were good years. We really we were there for eight and a half years. We really appreciated our time there, but Steve longed to get back to his first love and that was teaching. And so in uh, we resigned from SIM and in January of 2010 we Steve began teaching and soon chairing the World Missions and Intercultural Studies Department at Dallas Theological Seminary. God gave us a house just a half a mile from campus, so I was able to quickly and easily plug into ministry with student wives and Uh, female students who were, especially those that were eager to go into cross-cultural ministry. In 2012, in March of that year, uh, God in love and grace and perfect sovereign design turned up the heat of refining fires for us and for our family. When Steve was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, Steve was released from those fires um, about uh, 14 months later in uh, June of 2013, but I wasn't. (laughs) Those fires kept stoked for me, but as Daniel's three friends learned, um, Jesus walks with us through those fires, and they're not allowed to consume us. Instead, they're used of God to refine us and to forge in us the things that are necessary to move forward in his ongoing missional plan for our lives. God gave me an incredible privilege of spending about 14 months very intentionally pressing into grief and trying to process this dramatic change of life. I... um, I really wanted to, I I really believed and knew God's story, and I knew he wasn't finished. And I wanted to follow him in his missional plan for my life. But other than personal witness, I just didn't know what that was going to look like. And um, so about eight months into that process, I was uh, in Bolivia with my daughter, spent about three months there learning language and um, being with her as the birth of her second child. And I began praying, Lord, I know it's time to look for full-time work soon. Would you please give me something that's bigger than me and something that is worth waking up to do each day?" And uh, so as summer drew near, uh, in July, all the family planned to come in. Steve's mom and my parents and all the kids and grandkids were coming together. Um, And so I thought, okay, as soon as they leave, that's when I'll start my um, employment search. And so um, August 1st, I sent my resume out to two sets of people that said they would look it over and kind of dust it up for Dallas. And um, I thought, Monday, August 4th, I start hitting the road um, and start knocking on doors. And I don't stop until God gives me the job he has for me. And I fully expected that to be in an office, possibly in downtown Dallas where I live. And it would be a place where people needed Jesus. And I thought, that's where he's going to look. That's my new mission call. But on Saturday night of that weekend, I opened an email and it was from it had it contained two letters. The first one was from our SIM International Director and the other from his strategic development officer. And in it um, they asked me to prayerfully consider coming back to SIM to serve on a newly formed task force. My role on the task force would be as spiritual vitality facilitator, as you've heard. And that was to facilitate spiritual health and resiliency among our SIM workers around the world so that they could be effective in ministry and go the long haul in tough places. I was stunned. I had not been in any conversation with SIM about returning. They knew nothing of the timing of my job search. I was also really tired that night, and I closed my computer and said, God, this is too big, and I can't even think about it tonight. I'm just too tired. I'll talk to you about this tomorrow morning. So um, actually, it was church the next day, so um, got back from church and took a nap, and then I very carefully read through those letters and began praying about it. And for the next two weeks, continued to pray and seek God on it and talk to uh, people whose advice I, I valued. And God confirmed that this was indeed his plan for me. My story within God's missional story now called me back to SIM to serve in a new capacity, to serve on a task force which was created to help SIM refocus their priorities, their energies, and their resources with people and in places where Christ is least known. Three years ago, Dr. Joshua boganjoko I love saying his name, <laughs> uh, who served as an SIM medical doctor in one of our uh, hospitals in Niger, was installed as our SIM international director. One of the first things he put on his agenda was a strategic review. And being from the country of Nigeria, he, where SIM had its early beginnings, he had a great concern And that was, are we keeping the sharpened focus that our SIM founders had who knew and believed God's story and embraced its demands to take the gospel where it was least known, even at the cost of their lives? Now, maybe that seems a little strange. I mean, you're a mission, right? Isn't that what you're all about? Isn't that what you're called to do? Well, yes. But even as a mission, it's easy to lose focus, that sharpened, clear focus on God's mission. S.I.M. is now 122 years old. Uh, We have 1,600 missionaries around the world that come from 65, more than 65 countries. And we serve in about 70 countries. It's very easy to become entrenched in great, necessary, very effective ministry that doesn't always touch the lost. It is vital that would stay zeroed in on God's determined mission to redeem a people for himself from every language and ethnic group. Because S.I.M. leadership, uh, the leadership team that serves under Dr. Joshua, already had plates that were overflowing, um, they called on this task force, they appointed this task force to help assist them in this refocus process. And so after um, a year now it's been, when all of us have been full-time focused on this, what difference is it making for SIM? Let me give you just two examples. Uh, One comes from Ethiopia. Uh, Ethiopia was looking, SIM Ethiopia, was looking for doctors to serve in the Ethiopia University teaching hospitals. And many months after advertising this need, a doctor applied. And he wanted to come to... Ethiopia to practice medicine. Now you can imagine that there aren't a plethora of doctors that are lining up to come with SIM to teach in Ethiopia and to serve there in, in medical skills. So the, but the administration asked him, um, why do you want to come to Ethiopia? And his response was, God has gifted me with medical skills and training, and I would like to use them in this university teaching hospital. After hearing his response, S.I.M. Ethiopia encouraged him to seek another organization in Ethiopia with which to serve because they weren't hearing that sharpened focus. In God's grace and timing, a few months later, another doctor applied, and they asked him the same question, and his response was, I have a deep burden for the Somali people. I've heard that many of them come to this hospital because it's easier for them to get there by bus from Somalia. God has gifted me with medical training and skills, and I'm hoping that he will use those skills to touch the lives of Somalis in Ethiopia. You can well guess how SAM Ethiopia responded to that application. Then in Ghana, we have a comparatively small team serving in Ghana. They are made up of nine nationalities, including Koreans and Northeast Indians, Canadians, Americans, Brits. Uh, They came together from different parts of the country, to talk about this refocus. And as they prayed and discussed, uh, God moved among them. And in looking at the needs of the country, they felt that God was leading them to continue to focus on Muslim peoples. They, ha- they were working, already engaged with two people groups within Ghana. But that God was also challenging them in two new initiatives. One was to go to unreached children in the predominantly Muslim areas where S.I.M. was ministering. And secondly, to start an outreach to the Fulani people. The Fulani people are a Muslim group that is largely unengaged in Ghana. One of the team who has been focusing on youth, um, just developing and discipling youth in the predominantly Christian areas of South Ghana, has realized that the youth that she's been working with now can really carry on by themselves. And so she's pursuing further training, so so that she is equipped to go into the Muslim areas and work with youth there. When we know and believe God's story, we embrace its demands. Now, does this mean that SIM has classified um, missionaries involved in theological education and administration services and physical therapy as kind of second-class missionaries because they're not directly involved in evangelism? Absolutely not. But we want to make sure that every theological educator are teaching their pastors to disciple their congregations, to spur them on to proclaim Christ to their families, to their co-workers, to their neighbors, to their communities, and to look beyond that, to be looking to the next city, to the next state, and maybe to the next country. We want to make sure that our physical therapists are not only sharing the love of Christ through their healing hands, but they are active in proclaiming Christ in word as well. And as they train other physical therapists, we want to see them model and teach their students to proclaim Christ, not only in deed, but in word as well. God's story is about bringing himself eternal glory by purchasing through his son a people from every tribe and language and people and nation. That is why Roland Bingham, the Apostles Peter, Thomas, Paul, and Bonnie Witherall, went to such extremes, even at the risk of their lives, to proclaim Christ where he was least known. They knew and believed with all their hearts God's story and understood that if their story was going to be a part of God's story, it called them to join God in mission. And that is true for every disciple here at Faith Baptist Church. When, by God's grace, you trusted Christ as your Savior from sin, you signed up for a mission. Reading again from Luke 24, Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Who in your immediate world needs to see the gospel lived out and have the opportunity to hear the gospel message explained? Do you have an extended family member that maybe would be more receptive to a letter that you carefully write telling your story and giving a simple explanation of the gospel? Or maybe it's that single mom down the street who is worn out trying to make ends meet and take care of her latchkey kids. How could you enter into that life to bless and build trust and open a door for the gospel? Or maybe it's the co-worker going through a family crisis, someone you could bless with the listening ear and maybe some practical help, all the time watching for that opportunity that God may open a door for you to share the gospel message. You are called to be God's witness, not only individually, but corporately as well. You are so blessed to have each other, to be able to build each other up in your faith so that you're ready and equipped and energized to share your faith, to spur each other on, to, to help each other, encourage each other when it gets tough, to share your faith out in that world that hates your message, and to pray together so that God will open up doors that he'll work powerfully to change hearts in the lives of family members and neighbors and co-workers. You're in the largest city of your state. God has given you the opportunity to impact over 110,000 people just in your pretty much immediate area. What communities of people can you as a church plan to walk with so that they hear And understand the gospel. I spoke to the Iwana children, as Peter mentioned, Friday night. And it's a great program for discipling your own youth. And a wonderful tool to reach out to your community. And I just encourage you, boy, keep on in this. Expand your circumference as wide as you can. uh, To reach as many children as you can with this great program. And when it comes to different sectors of society, here in Manchester, where is Christ least known? It might be security personnel on the midnight shift or convenience store owners or executives and lawyers in the offices downtown. Who is God leading you as a church to focus on? Who can you partner with effectively to reach into the lives of those untouched by the gospel? Personally or corporately, it won't be easy and it won't be a comfortable ride. It often calls for change in our priorities. It may cost us some Friday nights. It may mean foregoing some TV so we can put prayer into God opening up doors and hearts. It may mean rearranging our schedule inconveniently to fit other people's time frame. It may mean sending sons and daughters to faraway places, and more importantly, grandchildren. Um, That makes it... That's hard. It's not convenient. It's not fun. Uh, Thank God for Skype these days. Um, Like SIM, it may call for refocus of our time and our energies and our resources to take the gospel to where Christ is least known. But when we know and believe God's story, we embrace its demands to take the gospel to those who need to hear it. I have close friends here in the United States, Today's purposes, I'll call Jim and Kathy. Kathy has been the human resources uh, person in her business for uh, many years. Her, the owner of the company, and her immediate boss, is the is a Muslim man. Kathy and Jim have been very intentional in um, befriending this family. Uh, obviously, there's uh, boundaries with the professional level, but. They've they've been at every office party. They've tried to do some of the little extras. Kathy has been very open about her faith. She often tells her boss when there's problems in the workplace uh, or big decisions that she's praying for those. Uh, He really respects her. She's a hard worker. She has not had an easy time over many years working in this environment, but she's been full of integrity and uh, very supportive and loyal, and so he really respects her. Just a couple of years ago, um, they got an emergency, very distressed call from this man's wife. Um, it was late at night. He was the, the husband was away on a business trip, and so Jim and Kathy dropped their plans, probably for a, a decent bed night, uh, night of sleep, and uh, raced over to this woman's house. They found her in the midst of a medical crisis, and as Kathy helped her, get ready to go to the hospital. Jim wandered into the bathroom of her of the master bedroom and uh, found some rags and just quietly went to work cleaning up a bathroom that was covered in evidence of this medical crisis. Um, the husband of course returned as soon as he knew of the emergency and the wife eventually healed. Jim and Kathy were very attentive in those first days and the appreciation that poured out of this couple was immense. Uh, Not only grateful for the support and and very emergency help they offered her, but um, they were somewhat, well, they were very mortified and also in awe that Jim would go and do such a menial and um, uncomfortable task as a man for a Muslim woman in that situation and uh, I wish I could tell you and then they came to the Lord they haven't but Jim and Kathy are constantly alert to opportunities to continue to express love and to share the gospel message with them and they're just being faithful there it was not convenient it was not comfortable it will not in the future be comfortable for them but they are ready to embrace the demands of the gospel to take that message where it is least known in that sphere that God has put them in so I just pray that all of us will watch for those opportunities that we will be open really believing the story that God, his story and wanting our story to uh, join him in mission uh, so that we embrace its demands and take the gospel to those who need to hear it around us Pastor you want to come to pray
0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such an incredible story that is a piece of the story that you tell of your great love and how it transforms and heals and spurs us all on to do things we never thought we could do. We thank you for Marsha. We thank you, Lord God, for for her not closing down her heart or her mind in the face of such great loss, but to continue to play to an audience of one, to continue, Lord God, Fanning the flame of the passion that you put within her to see the loss come to Christ. And in that, honor you and honor Stephen and honor all of those who have poured so much into her. We pray that you would bless her and that you would number her days well. Father, we pray that as we go forth from this place, we would leave with the understanding and with the challenge of living bigger lives, dreaming bigger dreams, and risking bigger risk, knowing that in doing so, we will meet you as you lead us and that you will work your great and perfect will in our lives. And that, Father, we will live and leave legacies that will echo throughout eternity. We thank you and praise you for this in Christ's name. Amen.